Good evening, everybody. This is Jeff J. Brown, China Rising Radio Sinoland on the D-Day beaches of Normandy in France. And I'm going to go nine hours earlier across the Atlantic, across the American continent to California, San Diego with Brett Redmayne Titley. How are you doing, Brett? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for me having me on your program. It's great to see you again. Yeah, you know, just a little bit of background uh, for the for the fans out there. Brett and I developed a relationship during the 2020 presidential election, and of course, we both we we both knew that it was just a complete and total fraud, and that it was stolen. You know, and Trump, Trump, you know, Trump won, and 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 we knew it, and we were doing a lot of reporting and helping each other, and. And then we decided to do a, 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 a program on it. <laughs> and we also were working, you know, on, you know, COVID and, and you know, sharing stuff with COVID and and uh, what I call the pandemic. And then we had a show. We did a show together and it was really, uh, really well received by the fans out there. I posted a couple of his articles in the interim. And then recently he went to Poland and Moldova uh, in uh, Eastern Europe to report on Ukraine, and I did. I I published this entire series, which was extremely well received. And so today, Brett and I just decided to get together and just talk about some uh, some of the headlines out there. And uh, before we get started, for those of you who do not know Brett, uh, Brett uh, Redmayne uh, Titley has spent the last decade traveling and documenting quote, the sorrows of empire, end of quote. He has authored over 200 articles, all of which have been published and often republished and translated by news agencies worldwide. An archive of his many articles can be found at www.watchingromeburn.uk. He can be contacted at liveonscene at gmx.com. And I'll put all this on, on our on our. Um, on our article page, so don't worry about that. So anyway, welcome, Brett. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Well, listen, we we kind of came up with an idea that, well, I'll pick out three things, and Brett will pick out three things, and then, then we'll just discuss them, you know. And 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 I, my first one that I came up with, you know, is that for me, as I look out across what's going on in the West. And the rest of the world, um, you know, I see China is, is is really an unstoppable colossus, and, and I just I just don't see the 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 government doing much wrong right now. And and Brett had some comments about that. What do you think about China's place in the world right now, Brett? Well, it's I think you have to put that in sort of two categories, Jeff, uh, economically and then geopolitically, which of course go hand in hand. But right now, China has the luxury of sort of sitting on the fence and watching the machinations in you know Eastern Europe uh, while on the fence, and it certainly does play uh, to China's advantage. Uh, diplomatically, they are involved, but not militarily and not economically. Uh, in the meantime, the damage is taking place. Uh, many of us, including myself, would argue that the reaction of the Russians was exactly was very metered. It was not a, a an emotional response. It was very metered and was put into place probably for years in advance. I would point out a small comparison, which is that uh, um, Jerome Powell said that he had not been consulted prior to the sanctions. Well, I go under the assumption that the uh, you know the uh, Russian economic ministry was certainly consulted and they knew exactly what they were doing. So the collateral damage is obvious. Uh, socially, I'm not a, an expert on, on uh, or economically on China. I know that China ha has a very different uh, style of economy uh, than most. Oh, very centrally planned, centrally controlled. Uh, the currency is very, uh, you know, centrally uh, beneficial uh, to the country. Uh, certainly, uh, China has had an amazing run of improving its lot of most of its uh, of its landmass, most of its population. Uh, but I think its job is yet to be done. And I think that's a long way to go. Uh, now, once again, you're an expert on this, I'm not. But, and, and some of my impressions would be through, you know, sort of mainstream or alternative media, which I would be the first to admit is going to be skewed uh, in favor of a Western narrative. However, from going to Quanzhou, uh, from you know, looking at China as objectively as I can, certainly the Chinese miracle is true. Uh, it has China 
completed that miracle uh, economically? I don't believe so because it doesn't appear to have, a, have completely affected the broad base of the Chinese population. Uh, you do have a, a certain portion, and I can speak to this. My wife teaches a Chinese students uh, course at the University of California, San Diego. So if you look at the, uh, the willingness of the Chinese to utilize the academic services of the world for their own intelligentsia, they've been very proactive on that. But I don't believe that's really been something that's been offered to the full breadth of Chinese uh, society. It's something that's more based on merit and also you know, access to the upper estimates of Chinese society. Now, will, will that possibly change over time? I would hope so. Uh, do I know? No, I'm not an expert enough to see that. But the, uh, the direction of China does seem to be positive. Uh, it is a very interesting business model and social model. And I think the, it's a matter of time to see if it does prevail. <clears throat> The uh, what um, the big problem right now for um, China is COVID, and I've done so much reporting on this, and we do not have time to go into it. But China has to assume every outbreak of COVID in uh, China is a uh, Western, specifically U.S. bioweapon attack. Um, they know that. SARS in 2003 was a bioweapon, was a bioweapon, and they know that SARS-CoV-2, today's bug, is also a Western bioweapon. And there is, there, there is obviously a difference in virulence <clears throat> between the variants that were planted in Wuhan in 2019 versus the variants that we now know there were um, five variants. And so they unfortunately have to take every outbreak as a potential bioweapon attack. And uh, I'm talking to, I mean, I've talked to people in China all the time and, and it's, you know, they're get, it's getting tiresome and they, and now they're going to, and now they're going to national <laughs> testing uh, instead of they used to, uh, for the last two years, they would test in areas where there was an outbreak, like that, and, that, and then that would be like a red zone around that area, and then there would be like a yellow zone, and then a green zone outside of that. But it, they can't seem to stomp it out, and uh, it, um, I know for a lot of fans out there, it seems far-fetched that the Americans would do this or the Europeans would do this, but it's very easy to use the diplomatic pouch to, to uh, to ship uh, um, vials of, 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 of bugs uh, to um, embassies and uh, consulates around China, and which is what happened in Wuhan in, 19, in 2019. So that is, that is really dragging the economy. It's really uh, hurting the economy. It's hurting employment. Uh, it's hurting uh, cons uh, you know, consumption. And I know the people are really, really, really tired of it. And 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 the problem is, is that the government, who I like to call Baba Beijing because it's very paternalistic, Baba Beijing can't tell the people that it's a Western bioweapon because if they admitted that, and so they have to play along, you know, with the World Health Organization and everybody else, they have to play along that it's not a bioweapon because if the if they announced to the world that the United States was attacking them with bioweapons, then the people would demand an appropriate response. And the only response that the, that, that China would have would be war because this is actually, these are actually war crimes. And so that's really, really, um, so they have to play along. And so this, what they're calling Omicron is not, it's, it's whatever the, the, the latest variant that's been, that's been, you know, Sent, sent sent to China. The, the 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 one great thing that China has going for it, and I know this upsets a lot of Westerners out there, but it, it, it and as you mentioned, Brett, its communist socialist system is um, able to absorb absorb a lot of blows because it is it is centrally centrally planned. They have a lot of levers they can play with. The, you know, the banks are all publicly owned. The insurance companies are all publicly owned. Uh, real estate, you can't buy dirt in China. You can only lease it for 70 years. Uh, the, you know, the 100 major industries are predominantly uh, 
uh, people owned, publicly owned. What's capitalist is low margin, high volume consumer goods and services. So, you know, the People's Bank prints its own money. They're not borrowing their money from they're not borrowing their money from the Rothschilds and 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 the and the Rockefellers. Sure. So so they so they do have they do have they 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 have this ability to allocate and 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 you know change things and they can just like in in in, in a snap of their fingers they can say okay the reserve rate has to go up you know one percent or or down one percent uh, they you know they 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 do control capital flows in inside and outside the country they banned they banned cryptocurrency of all kinds so they they are they are very very resilient uh but it, you know it's it's we're going through some tough times you know globally with with you know obviously if europe goes into a depression or a deep recession uh and north america goes into a recession that's going to affect the chinese economy too so um anyway it's an interesting and and xi jinping is of course in um in um I think it's Kazakhstan for this Shanghai Cooperation Organization meeting, and um, and uh, for the next two days. So it's it's just uh, some pretty exciting times. Anything yeah, so else you anything else you want to say about China? You know what? I agree with you. I'm glad you hit on that because you know with with the advent of the BRICS, which has really been coming up for about five or six years now, but by necessity is really accelerating. Then you've got the Belt and Road Initiative, which is predominantly you know uh, propagated by Russia and China together, uh, with of course the commingling of of the uh, Southern Asian states or nations, and that's fine too. But this is, I think, an example of why Russia and China are going to excel and leave America behind. And Europe and Britain, uh, Britain, you know, those countries or those areas, regions, nations, uh, being the predominant powers, have basically used up their natural resources. They've used up their democracies. They've used up their, you know, the, mm -hmm. the goodwill of their people. Uh, they don't have much less. So you left. So you see this massive Western hegemony pointed at Russia, pointed at China, and the other developing nations that still do have resources. Uh, that still basically still have an economic, if not, uh, well, I wouldn't say democratic future because to call, you know, Kazakhstan democratic would be uh, a stretch. But um, but either way, uh, the future is very bright for China. It's very bright for the Belt and Road uh, uh, nations. And I think it's very bright for the BRICS nations, too, that are now mm -hmm. leaving the behind. Uh, one of the things I would point out in my travels over this past time, going over to uh, Ukraine, Moldova, uh, Romania, Poland, uh, Hungary, is that all those nations maintain their own currency, which means they all maintain their own central bank. They're not tied to the euro. And when I was there, I left three months ago, but you did not have massive inflation. Uh, you had the price of living being very, very modest. Uh, I will tell you that I enjoyed Moldova very much and loved Bulgaria. Uh, for many reasons, including the pricing, you know, and the quality of everything that you got, which was basically Western quality at third world pricing. So there's an interesting dichotomy as you go around the third world that we're supposed to believe that they're impoverished when they spend three, you know, three dollars for a month's worth of cell phone service. You know, these, you know, where Americans are paying 30, you know, these kinds of things. There's a real dichotomy of capitalist value applied to goods and services. And you don't really notice that until you get into other countries. Now, I can't speak to China only having been there for a very short time. But I presume that China, like Russia and the Baltic regions, and uh, are, are living in a different economic world by not mm -hmm. being attached to those central banks. Mm -hmm. uh, one caveat I would make about China, which is, has been a, res uh, a concern of mine, not being an expert, mind you, but uh, Keynesian economics has now basically been proven to be a failed theory. Uh, you saw Keynesian, or at least deficit spending. I got taken to task on using the term uh, Keynesian in, a, in an article, but uh, quite frankly, I think that was splitting hairs, because you know, since the, uh, the you know the, the Great Depression in the United States, uh, John Maynard Keynes has been given almost day, uh, you know, has been almost deified. Uh, in his economic positions of using deficit spending regardless of consequence. Well, those consequences are indeed coming to roost right now worldwide in that first world that I alluded to of inflation, artificial prices that are in inflated in, in their own mind through central mm -hmm. bank trickery. So this is giving the third world an example of why they should not become part and parcel of that business model. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
China is one of the few countries in the world that prints its own money, and um, and China is one of the few. Well, it's, it is the major economy where all the banks are people owned, and so I think that gives them some some some, some real cushion to um, to to survive much much better than Western Europe or Japan or South Korea or. Or Canada, you know the NATO, the the NATO, uh, you know the NATO countries, et cetera. So um, anyway, some really good comments. What do we want to talk about? We've, we we come up we came up with some great with some great um, topics. The amazing suicide of Europe, <laughs> and and you you included the UK for the same reasons, and the death of populism. What do you what do you want to say, Brett? There's so much to be said. I mean, I think it quite frankly could fill a book, and I'm sure there's those who have already done so. <laughs> but uh, we were kind of alluding to that. You know, the, the death of populism has been a slow a slow progression for now. Uh, as an article that I believe you may have read uh, that was titled, you know, it was an attack on Brit you know, Britain's special relationship with America, which has primarily been an economic relationship of using the same Keynesian economic tricks that, you know, we alluded to in our previous commentary. And, and now, after 40 years of basically conservative party rule, if you aspire to the fact that uh, Tony Blair and Gordon Brown were not mm. necessarily, uh, you know, labor, you know, uh, labor, labor party leaders in the classic sense, um, they, you know, they've led Britain down the road of this Keynesian trickery to the point where deficit spending will not, uh, and all the tricks are now um, unavailable. Uh, they can't lower rates. Uh, if they raise rates, you know that creates its own problems uh, of negating, um, the, you know, the growth of the economy. So they they've painted themselves in a corner by because the one of their tricks when they were out of other tricks of deficit spending was just to now lower the you know the uh, the interest rate, the prime interest rate, down to basically zero. As you know, in Europe, it's actually been a negative for almost negative, a yeah, yeah, negative. It's just yeah. crazy. Except if you're a big business living on capitalist socialism applied to corporate socialism. Which is there's in other words, there's always been money for the corporations, uh, crisis after crisis after crisis. But what have they continued to do? Take that money incrementally from the people. Now they know that the the, the that insurrection is a result of these kind of programs over the long term. Now they're getting very very worried, and I've advocated this for many years. If you look at governments, they're not stupid. They have their own economists. They have their own. Uh, uh, you know, people who study the metrics of economy, of social distaste and distrust, and they know that for a long time they've been pushing Western society to the brink of insurrection. So they're no longer interested in just control economically. We're now seeing the draconian efforts across, you know, the Western world of uh, press restrictions, media restrictions, informational restrictions, social restrictions. Uh, and sadly, the most of the world is acquiescing to that rather than rising up. But things have not been quite as bad as they're getting. So I, I do believe that most governments anticipate insurrection and are preparing for that day. And that day is now getting very, very close. Yeah, you, you, one of the other things we, you, wanted, you, you mentioned is just how, uh, I mean, I, I, I could be cynical about, about, about Western media going back to the times of the ancient Greeks, but, but we, we, can at least, we can at least say there was a time um, post-World War II uh, in the West, where journalism and news reporting, at least, you know, had some responsibility to, to, to tell the truth right. and re and report the facts as they as they are. And I guess the last great time that that happened was the Vietnam War. And of course, everybody in the American establishment said we will never, we will never let that happen again, uh, you know. And and it just seems like since the Vietnam, the Vietnam War, and all the protests on the on the on the uh, TV, and all the soldiers in the paddy fields, you know, in in Southeast Asia, and the bombing, everything. It just seems that the press has just gone completely. I mean, Orwellian. Double speak, news speak. Well, I call it the big lie propaganda machine. I mean, it has become so blatant, and you've mentioned that too. I mean, it's it's so detached from reality. What 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 are what are your comments on that? Well, I, I completely agree. As a member of the alternative media, trying to set a higher standard, yes, certainly I agree. 
But I would argue that the the, uh, the world population has predominantly failed the test again and again, creating an arrogance of Western media that they can get away with any rubbish that they want. I mean, we won't dive into divisive issues like 9-11, but let's look at the coronavirus. Okay, there was another side to this story, and that side of that story was not told for almost two years, yet that side of the story is predominantly correct and is now being vindicated by Nobel Prize winners who are trying to vindicate it for two years, but their, their voices were not heard. Uh, the the amount of inquisition or inquiry uh, by the average you know Brit or European or whatever was very minimal. They didn't they didn't attempt to bridge that uh, that censorship to really dive into it. It's only been over the course of time that you know through uh, diligent reporting and maybe a, just a, a sixth sense on the part of the public that they've started to read and understand that what they were told was predominantly false. But this, yeah, created, yeah. but this created an arrogance again within the within the media that they can get the public to believe anything if in fact they distort it. It's the old Goebbels quote, you know, if you say the lie long enough, it becomes true, or you know, whatever the exact quote is. But functionally, it's very very correct, and you're seeing this now. You know, if you apply it to corporations, that in Britain, all you know, all, all of British newspapers are owned by three corporations. In the United States, as you're well aware, I think paraphrase, mm -hmm. but it's something like 92 percent of all media that's newspaper, radio, TV. And internet is owned by six corporations, all with an identical, uh, you know, let's use the term Zionism, it's the correct term to use in this, but a correct Zionist position uh, of, of pro corporate uh, welfare, of no examination of Israel, and also uh, you know, propagation of a lack of civil rights and censorship. So you're, you're seeing this again and again, but it's becoming more and more, I would argue, prevalent because of a lack of reaction by the populace. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I came up with the, you know, calling it the big lie propaganda machine a couple of years ago. And, and uh, I think that, um, you know, it, it has been, been developing since World War II and the, the CIA with, you know, Operation Mockingbird and, you know, taking, you know, subverting newspapers and magazines and, and televisions and journalists. And uh, and as you said, uh, well, I actually, uh, James Bradley had a great quote. He said, you know, that Western media is government is government managed and owned by, you know, owned by the you know, privately owned, but government managed. And I, and I think there, I think there's a lot to that. Uh, so uh, it's it's just shocking, and 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 I see and, and you know we I see all this propaganda coming out about you know Putin and cancer and Putin is sick and Russia's losing and <laughs> it's just the the pro it's just so god awful and uh, well. It, it, I mean, you know, this is the thing with, you know, if you look at, say, the BBC and well, I don't know if you read uh, part one of my, you know, my series when it, you know, as I was on the way to Ukraine, it was titled The Ignorance of War. And to paraphrase my own work, um, I was horrified while in Britain that people had no degree of inquiry about what was going on uh, in Russia based on the historical precedent of, you know, Maidan Square or Svoboda or what have you that goes back to 2004. You know, you've got you know, 20 years worth of American NATO propagation within, uh, and Nazi propagation within uh, Ukraine. It's just, it's an absolute fact. So when I tried to bring that up with some of my best friends in England, rather than uh, express any interest, no, it was ad hominem attacks, and you know, I, you know, that it was all conspiracy theory, et cetera, so forth. We don't need to get into my involvement in that. But um, I was shocked that people who I considered to be intelligent people would not switch on the interest in the subject rather than just merely dismissing the other side of the story as they had previously done in COVID. So that's why I authored that piece as sort of a, you know, a preface you know, to why I was going mm -hmm. to uh, one of the reasons I do a lot of on-scene on reporting as much as I can is I find it very difficult for people to argue with me as it's just merely my opinion that I'm behind a you know, computer screen just typing. When I'm actually there in Lviv, when I'm in Odessa, when I'm, you know, when I'm writing about what's taking place in Moldova while I'm standing on the parliament steps, you know, it does make my detractors or detractors <laughs> of the truth it makes their job a much more difficult and it makes it a lot easier to sell the truth to people because they're you know basically the argument is well he's there he knows 
Well, mm -hmm. and that's why I do it. Uh, there's many others who do, but we are few and far between, as you know, and many news services now really don't offer that kind of uh, direct on-scene involvement unless, of course, it's orchestrated, and you see plenty of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I of course, would have never under, really understood China and the Chinese people if I hadn't lived and worked there for 16 years. I mean, <laughs> be, having your boots on the ground <laughs> makes a big difference, so it does help. So. Uh, all right. Yeah. War crime trials in Donbass and upcoming war crime trials against the West for WMD bioweapons. Uh, James Bradley and I have come up with a thing called JB West and JB East presents See You in the Hague. And we've done some really wonderful reporting on this. This, um, you know, I think Brett knows this is unprecedented that Russia is coming out with reams and reams of information uh, conclusively showing war crimes, crimes against humanity on a vast, vast scale by the United States with it, the collusion of its uh, Western vassals, especially uh, uh, the United Kingdom, Poland, and um, uh, I'm having a brain burp here, uh, uh, Germany. Uh, the UK, Poland, and Germany, and they are going to be having war crime trials for the for the Azov Nazis and the Donbass uh, are going to be, and, and Russia. I'm sorry, Donbass is going to have war crime trials for Azov Nazis and just the general uh, uh, war crime behavior of the Ukrainian uh, uh, forces. And Russia is going to have war crime trials for. Um, widespread use of bioweapons and bioweapon production in, in Ukraine. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Brett? And, and the, the difference is, is now that unlike in the 1960s with the Soviet Union, when there were two sides, now people are starting to listen to Russia mm -hmm. and, and, and a lot of and a lot of countries are showing an interest in this in this topic. What do you think? Uh, your last comment's excellent there. I, I think Russia and specifically Vladimir Putin and his administration are not just getting sympathy from the West, they're getting incredible respect, I'm sorry, not from the West, but from the remainder of the, you know, so we call it the third world, the, the non-Western world, are garnering amazing respect and amazing interest in what's actually taking place. I mentioned the, the, the misrepresentation of the reason that Russia has gone into Ukraine. You know, that's all missing from that Western dialogue. Thanks to good reporters, uh, which I like to include myself, at Pepe Escobar, uh, you know, Mike Whitney. I mean, this goes on and on. I'm obviously missing many people. But those of us who went to Ukraine right away went there for one reason, and that was to counter Western disinformation by being there. Like I said, the power of being on scene. So now we have where I would very, I would say very little of the Western world does not acknowledge the neo-Nazi influence within Ukraine, where it was, it was denied wholesale for the first, you know, 60 days. Uh, so, you know, so moving on to your, your question, um, where we're talking about the war crimes you know, uh, trials in Donbass, I consider that the biggest story of this decade. And I'm trying mm -hmm. to get there. I'd like to talk to you a little bit later about that. I'm having some trouble networking because I can't get uh, on-scene information as far as getting to Mar you know, Mariupol, which is where the uh, the trials are supposed to be taking place. Uh, considering that Kiev is bombing their own uh, uh, POW camps, I'm sure they're keeping the location highly secret. So getting through the the levels of uh, uh, credentialing has been somewhat difficult. Mm -hmm. Moving on though, uh, uh, because of the testimony of the, of the well over a thousand people that are that are being incarcerated in, in uh, POW camps, and once again being treated quite well under the Geneva Convention, as opposed to the way the Ukrainians are treating the Russian captives, uh, they're setting a standard here. And and I, I will I will go into the assumption that Russia will perform these trials very very methodically and very very professional, because they've already got the attention of the world now after five months. Now they have to maintain that positive public relations, if you will, and continue to educate the public as to what took place in Ukraine. Because what took place in Ukraine is not an indictment of uh, Zelensky and company. It's an indictment of NATO. It's an indictment of the American hegemony. It's an indictment of Britain. You know, it's an indictment of the entire Western sphere of influence. And it must be covered, and it must be covered very, very correctly.
Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I have every intention of being there. Uh, you know, keep your fingers crossed for me, and hopefully there'll be some. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to the uh, the uh, bioweapons labs, which you know, once again, I think a lot of people knew they existed. Now they've been proven to exist by you know by Russian involvement in Ukraine. I would suggest that anything that gets to the Hague is not going to get very far. Uh, the Hague has, has been anything but effective. Yeah, I know. And it's you know, I look, you know, look at the you know the MS seventeen thing and all of this kind of stuff. I mean, good lord, you know, uh, it was just a travesty of investigational justice. You know, so um, I think that the Russians will probably have to do something uh, tantamount to the same thing as what they're doing in the Donbass with, you know, with the war crimes trials and, and feature this <laughs> to a public audience, but possibly in a, in a neutral country. Who knows? Maybe, you know, if you want to call Belarus, you know, neutral, but not necessarily geopolitically, possibly having it in some other country under Russian auspices with the, uh, the world community's involvement in this, because mm-hmm. this has to stop. Um, you know, Ron Unz, uh, on the Unz Review this past mm-hmm. week, and he's been following this. And Ron initially was not enthusiastic about covering this. His opinion has changed dramatically. And Ron tends to write very lengthy pieces and dive into things rather academically. That's why I have a lot of respect for him. But he also meters his approach to this in trying to keep it academic. Well, as of you know, his last article and several before that, he's opening this Pandora's box on not just the Ukrainian involvement, but the American involvement in bioweapons labs around the world and his connection, as you alluded to earlier, with attacking uh, uh, China with an orchestrated bioweapon. Mm-hmm. Now you're seeing, uh, you may, I don't know if you saw this story this past week, uh, the, the man who was the director of the, uh, the, C, of the, um, the White House effort on, on the pandemic has come out, he was involved with Johns Hopkins and everybody else, or right in the center of it. He's come out and said that in his opinion, it's a bioweapon. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of us assume this a long, long ago, but this gets back to the narrative changing over time. And now you have the director himself saying this, and of course the media has buried that story 100%. <laughs> you know? I mean, the whole obfuscation started really when Trump long ago said, you know, at a, at a press conference said, oh, it's China, you know, China did it, you know. And now you see the Epoch Times calling it the Chinese coronavirus. Because uh, this gets back to the Goebbels quote. If you, if you, you know, orchestrate that lie again and again, most people will perceive that as true. But functionally and factually, it's just simply not true. Now, uh, the Chinese, I think, have taken a very professional and metered approach to this. Rather than jumping up in arms, they've waited for the forensic uh, you know, epidemiological studies to come out slowly over time using you know, uh, Nobel Prize winners and very good epidemiologists to break down this obfuscation by the West and at least now admit that it was a, a, a bioweapon, a man-made bioweapon. Now we move to the, you know, to whether or not it was introduced by America into China, but and also the question was it created by the Americans? Well, when you add all these, you know, these bioweapons bases that the Americans are using around the world for other things like anthrax, uh, uh, Marburg, I mean, the list goes on and on, and you know, and the gain of function research that they're doing this to make this applicable to attacking certain uh, ethnic cultures, as mm-hmm. appears to have happened in China, has appears to have happened in in, in uh, Iran by being, as you talked about earlier, five different. Uh, uh, Organisms, mm-hmm. this uh, deserves further uh, further investigation. Will the West do everything in their power to stop it? Absolutely. But uh, China, like I said, and Russia and their you know their peers within you know their own sphere of influence are taking that approach that time will tell. As good historians take the uh, the same tact. Yeah. The truth of the matter comes out many years ago. You know, many years later, it becomes peer reviewed, and then it becomes fact. But it does sometimes take a long time for that fact to become uh, widely accepted. But I China, China, I think, uh, Brett, the, the, the Nazi war crimes, you know, the Azov, and, and, and it's not just Nazis. The Ukrainians have, you know, been cutting off, you know, body parts and uh, of, of Russian soldiers and, you know, castrating them and and murdering them, you know, as prisoners of war, and and they're not necessarily Nazis; they're just, you know, the armed forces of the Ukraine. So I think those, I think those, war crime trials will be held in Donbass. So they they've already said, you know, Mariupol, but the all of this stuff about the bioweapons is all Donbass is not even a consideration. It's all Russia all the time, Ministry of Defense and 
yesterday, the vice president, a vice president, one of the vice presidents of Russia, went before the United Nations bio, biological toxin weapon um, uh, convention, the group, and there's uh, 190 countries that are members, and presented this officially to the United Nations. And you can you can bet your sweet bippy that Russia's gonna make sure that every country that's a, a signatory to the bioweapon convention, and it's everybody except I think three or four countries in Africa, uh, are gonna get copies of everything that the Russians have, have presented uh, uh, so far. So I think the bioweapon uh, um, uh, war crime trials will be held in Russia or somewhere, as you said, a a neutral, you know, a, 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 a maybe not in Moscow, but someplace. But those will be those will be conducted by those will be conducted by Russia. And as you said, the Russians are very methodical. They're very thorough. You know, they had the uh, uh, the uh, Khabarov, tr uh, uh, Khabarov trials in 1950, uh, after uh, after the Korean War, uh, to uh, about the bio um, uh, about the bio weapon. No, I'm sorry, after um, uh, the Second World War, where they tried the 13, 14 Japanese. A scientist at Unit Seven Three One, and um, you know, for bioweapon use. Of course, Shiroishi and the and the big guys went to Fort Detrick to start start to start bioweapon to turn America into the biggest bioweapon uh, producer in the world uh, with 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 the the Japanese. So the Russians are very thorough. They have a lot of experience doing this, and I, th it's going to be really, really, really hard. I mean. They may be able to keep the 15% of the of the West, you know, NATO, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and South Korea. They may be able to keep them ignorant, but the 85%, the rest of the 85% of the world are going to have lots of opportunities to learn about uh, learn about this. So, uh, I think I think it's absolutely a bombshell, you know, both both the both the Nazis and the war crime, the horrific war crimes, you know, bombing. Uh, civilians and apartment complexes and all that, and the nuclear power plant, uh, and uh, that those war crimes, and then also the WMD bioweapon war, war crimes. I, I, as you said, I think it's the biggest news of the decade for sure. So, well, let's keep our fingers crossed. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Jeff. And, you know, it becomes basically a worldwide uh, uh, vilification of, you know, American hegemony and, you know, you know, by example. And, and I think that's what's so important is, that, as I said, as the world is waking up, you know, the affected world, you know, you know, the, you know that's been affected by American hegemony, uh, it's anxious for some proof, if you will. And this is likely to give some very tangible proof uh, to that 85% that you're alluding to and give them hopefully mm. the strength to start resisting. Because as I alluded yeah. to there is a real lack of resistance and, and too much apathy. So hopefully, you know, this will be one of the impetus, uh, aside from the economic impetus now of the war, that will allow people to finally get on their feet and uh, challenge this narrative, if not challenge their own leaders. Yeah, absolutely. You and I are both... Um both uh, get a smile on our faces when we see uh, uh, see or talk about Trump, but and this is something you're much more plugged in about than me. But the whole Trump saga, I think, in the United States is like the 800-pound gorilla on the glo global stage. I don't know if people realize the disruption, the 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 dis the disruptive force of Donald Trump on, on U.S. politics. And going back, and that's why they stole the election from him, because uh, we wouldn't be in uh, uh, Ukraine wouldn't have. I don't think Ukraine would have happened if, uh, if if Trump if Trump had gone to the White House like he like he should have been. But now with the FBI and all of these all of these, you know, likely bogus, you know, accusations so that they can get him in a position where he can't run in 2024. I, I mean, he is really the 800 pound gorilla on, on the global stage through, through Washington, DC. And, and, uh, and he, I mean, he's the, I mean, he's, he's, he is the tail wagging America, the American dog. So, uh, what, 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 what would you like to say about that? 
Well, I think the first thing I have to say in the interest of full disclosure is that I have not liked an American president at all since Lyndon Johnson. So uh, I've detested almost all American presidents, but for different reasons. Uh, so that being said, uh, I, did, I never liked Donald Trump. I was in the press corps for part of Trump's campaign. I've seen him from me to you. Uh, I have great distaste for, uh, disdain for Donald Trump, and I have a disdain, disdain for the American public that would actually vote for the man again after the four years of a, what I would argue a very failed presidency. However, within the context of that failed presidency, there was a degree of opposition. And we alluded to the to the uh, the uh, Labour Party in Britain, which is no longer an opposition party. Uh, Trump does offer that ability of a degree of faux opposition. Uh, if he goes into office, you'll probably get him playing golf again for four years, right? You know, with another cabin of, ro of a rogues gallery of swamp creatures. But uh, in the meantime, he is perceived as the opposition candidate rallying, as Bernie Sanders does in his faux socialist way, uh, his own troops around him for a very false, uh, you know, on a very false premise. I would argue that Trump has no sincerity. He just has a massive ego. And if he didn't have a massive ego, he should go out right now and, and hug uh, Ron DeSantis and, and help him run to the, you know, to the finish line in two years from now. But Trump's ego will not allow him to do that. Uh, certainly, you are correct, though. Uh, Biden, and, you know, as you alluded to, I covered the election pretty closely, a little bit more so than others. Uh, one of my benefits is I have several publications that feature regularly that are not predisposed to the censorship about the election. So a lot of my work was very well read uh, for a number of reasons, but one primarily that people were looking for uh, investigative reporting on the election and were having great difficulty finding it. And when they found my work, they were very pleased to at least dive into it further. Uh, was the, would the election have gone Trump's way? I think that's the only question. Uh, the question as to whether or not the Democrats, you know, uh, did affect a plan. And keep in mind that, that Biden said on the campaign trail, a uh, slight paraphrase, we have the greatest uh, voter repression system in U.S. history. I mean, he actually said that within days of the election. Mm -hmm. uh, then the subsequent result was that there was demonstrative uh, fiddling with the election, whether it be the mail-in ballots in California, Florida, what have you. Uh, then, of course, you have the election itself. You know, you had Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on where you had some very, very uh, funny business in terms of robo-signings, dropping off of ballots, uh, movement of ballots across interstate lines. But it actually got much, much worse than that. There was a chance for this all to be saved at the Supreme Court level, or at least at the, at the state Supreme Court level. And if you looked, as I documented, what the machinations of what took place in Pennsylvania over them basically tossing their constitution <clears throat> to the toilet. And then the uh, the state Supreme Court allowed it to continue to stay in the toilet rather than mm -hmm. rectify that problem using the constitution of the state verbatim. They didn't do that. Uh, then when the whole thing was turned over to the U.S. Supreme Court, tangible reports are that Roberts actually screamed at his own members that we will have blood in the streets in America unless we certify this election. Well, sorry, that's, it's not the job of the Supreme Court to decide who's going to be the winner, which, of course, they did in 2000 with Bush v. Gore. It is their job to enforce the Constitution of the states and the United States itself, which they did not do. When Robertson Company punted, as many of us pontificated they would, the final result, which was all based on, on Pennsylvania, no other state, it spoke volumes to how corrupt you know the nation is, mm -hmm. right down to its Supreme Court itself, to the Democratic Party. And what people forget is that Julian Assange likely sits in prison right now for many reasons. But the number one was the tranche that he, he the, of, of of Podesta's emails, you know, Hillary's emails, uh, uh, Wasserman Schultz's emails, Brazil's own uh, uh, emails, all of which were the upper echelon of the 2016 campaign that showed they were rigging the whole gosh darn thing in favor of Hillary versus Sanders. It was indisputable, and it cost it very much cost Hillary the election because of the timing in which that was released. Mm -hmm. You know, Julian Assange needs to be let out tomorrow. He needs to be pardoned and, uh, you know, quite frankly, given a medal. However, uh, this becomes, you know, part and parcel of what's taking place. So now we have a, a further coup. Uh, I think things are going to get much worse in the United States right now. Uh, Biden didn't run for president. He's basically, you know, his campaign trail was was uh, sparsely populated, whereas uh, Trump was pulling massive, massive uh, crowds and still is. Biden still refuses to acknowledge 
uh, that Trump is, is rising while he plays basically faux leader uh, or faux dictator. If you looked at his speech from about mm-hmm. a week ago, you know, before what was basically, uh, you know, that Nazi, I'm sorry, I don't know the program, but there's a, a, a program that's on um, on cable TV that has very similar imagery using Nazi imagery, such as uh, what Biden did. So we have a real problem here, I think, that the Democrats were thwarted in 2016. They prevailed in 2020 through even worse trickery. And now are going, you know, because like I said, the public has now seen and been exposed to the other side and are very cognizant that there was something really wrong with that election. And it has delegitimized Biden dramatically in the eyes of a lot bigger portion of the population. The Democrats are about to likely get destroyed in the midterms putting you know, the House and the Senate back in uh, to play for the Republicans. Once again, I am not a Republican. This is functional you know, politics here. And leaving uh, Biden as an absolute lame duck president for the next two years, probably the most lame duck president we've ever had because of how much the Republicans don't like him. But then you have the rhino Republicans, you know, the Republicans in name only. And they seem to be attaching themselves to the Democratic side of things as fast as they can. So I'm sort of expanding on what you're talking about, which is that we have an internal civil war going on in the United States right now Mm -hmm. as we speak. As it turns into gunfire in the streets, not necessarily unless you look at the violence across the America, but that's really just racial violence and discord. It's not political violence. But you add the economic situation to a fraudulent election, to an election that people are uh, waking up that was fraudulent and has delegitimized Biden, these are all the uh, precursors, if you will, to revolution, or at least insurrection. Mm-hmm. And uh, and but you are seeing the same thing in Britain. You are seeing the same thing possibly in France. I mean, uh, you know, Macron prevailing over Le Pen uh, for the second time. I uh, you would know better than I, but there are some elements that have come to my attention that that indicate that that may not have been the most. Um, no, it was rigged. Okay, there you go. I'm trying to be since I'm not well versed on it. I would just tell you that my impression is that that election also was fiddled with, you know. Yeah. Uh, you, I've got an article coming out now about... Brett, the, Brett scoot oh, right. Oh, <laughs> you think, you think, I'm getting all comfortable here, you know. <laughs> I love these kind of conversations because a lot of times, you know, you do, you know, relax into the conversation. <laughs> so, so anyway, this, this you know, but in, in terms of the United States and, and basically back to your question, yeah, Trump is the gorilla in the room. Uh, soon it will be DeSantis, I think, because DeSantis is, is he's a smart guy. Uh, I'm not sure if you're following him. He has the command of his argument and he has the courage of his convictions. Two mm-hmm. things that very few politicians today have. And if you watch him when he is attacked by the liberal side of the narrative, he is able to articulate his position very quickly. He is unapologetic. And, and if you will, that is the sign of a true leader. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. suggesting that DeSantis is the one. But I am suggesting that these are attributes that more people in this world should look for when they finally cast their vote at the ballot box or select people to run at the ballot box. And we're not seeing this. But this is also can be historically the reaction rather than revolution to bring in uh, you know, better quality candidates who are more ethnocentric. Now, is that likely to be acceptable to the press, to the Republicans, to the New World Order, you know, to the status quo? Of course not. But, but once again, they are outnumbered by us, and we can indeed affect that change. Is that likely in the short term? No. But things are getting very uh, dire right now, and it is breeding that kind of uh, possibility. The uh, last question we've got uh, to talk about, thank you for that. Yeah, so I, I, I think we can safely say that, that Trump represents you know, a certain, a certain, a certain segment of, of America, of America and, uh, in this pending civil possible, well, I even saw, I even saw, I even saw a, 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 it was like a pew, pew or Gallup where 40% of Americans said they thought that, that civil war was likely in the next X number of years. I mean, what, what does that tell you about, about, about a country It's just unbelievable. But, um, uh, I'll be going back to see, we'll be going back to see our first uh, grandchild, uh, for Christmas, uh, in Oklahoma. And, and I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing, seeing the lay of the land, at least, uh, at least in, 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 in my, in my home state. So, uh, the last thing we wanted to talk about was the likely return to the gold standard and the elimination of L- of the London uh, 
what is it? The L LBMA is the London Bullion some, Metals Association. Yeah, Bullion Metals. Yeah, exactly. Gold price manipulation. Uh, and th this will be done by Russia and China and the, and BRICS too. That will be the death nail, the death uh, nail for the U.S., U.K., E.U. central banks that have hypothecated their national gold reserves down to almost zero while stealing those of Ukraine and Venezuela, so uh, not to mention Libya. So uh, uh, go ahead and tell, uh, take it away, please. Well, this is another reason, you know, those of us who are a little tired of, you know, Western hegemony are enthusiastic about, you know, Putin's overall chess moves here to change things for the better worldwide and not just for the select few. Uh, for, for those who are just tuning in to gold, very, very quickly, gold is being manipulated uh, down in, in value, uh, specifically by using certificate gold, which is the promise that you will receive bullion gold if you present your certificate of depository. Then above that, you have derivative gold, and derivatives is probably you know the, the biggest chicanery you have in banking, but it's used to basically uh, fractionally use bullion gold to therefore create more paper gold. Uh, or derivative gold. However, uh, the last I checked in the article I did a few years ago, derivative gold was 272 to one bullion gold, you know, to to, uh, to derivatives, and paper gold was somewhere well over you know, over 100. I'm, I've got to paraphrase now because these numbers have changed. But if you will, all of that paper gold is based on you know the one ounce of bullion gold. Yet, arbitrarily, all are considered to have the same value. So at any given time, and I watch gold every single day, at any given moment, um, JP Morgan Chase, which owns the largest uh, uh, reserves of derivative gold in the world and continues to, to, to buy more derivative gold and, and create more derivative gold, will literally dump tens of billions of dollars in paper gold that costs them nothing to drive the, the bullion price mm. down. Uh, that's been nice because the Russians are picking up the gold, the bullion gold at a fraction of the cost, so are the Chinese, the Indians, etc., so forth. In turn, though, what's interesting about that is they're buying gold. The predominant evidence, uh, if you use great sources like Bullion Star out of Singapore or what have you, indicate that the Americans don't have much gold left. It's a trick called hypothecization. And that is basically another trick similar to uh, derivatives or certificate gold, but it's actually the loaning of the physical gold to other national entities. And the gold is actually removed to do this. Uh, the whole trick of this really actually started in the Second World War uh, when many nations, including Germany, moved their gold bill into the, you know, the United States for security on the theory that the United States had a large military and was basically an island and you know, their gold would be uh, safe. Well, it was only safe until the Americans decided not to return it. <laughs> and the Germans got their gold back incrementally. Uh, the Venezuelans who put their, you know, their, their, uh, their, their, uh, their gold for safekeeping in the, in the Royal Bank of London, they're not getting it back for the last you know, statement from you know, the, you know, the British High Court. Um, so within all that trickery, you've had the, you know, the value of gold, which has been sacrosanct for thousands of years, being adulterated basically for the first time in history, and other than clipping and all the crazy stuff that the Romans did. But in terms of pure value of gold, taking now uh, what was likely to take place in China and Russia, they now want to start a brand new gold reserve. Mm -hmm. Used on gold, they will eliminate uh, the ability to use paper gold. When that does that, uh, well, it's a long subject, but what will likely happen is the Chinese and the Russians and their affiliates will, I'm sorry, will, will <laughs> I'm getting uncomfortable again. It's a good subject, but they will, uh, when, when that happens, as they were going to do, there's already an example of this, you know, as, as the war started and uh, Russia went to rubles only and there was a gold, you know, they placed a gold, uh, a fixed gold price that gold could be used in lieu of rubles or euros, etc. But they place that value higher than spot price. Now that's interesting because if they do that, as they're likely to do when they open their own equivalent of you know, the LBMA, they will likely set that higher. That's going to drive everyone to send their bullion into that market. Mm -hmm. yet, the, yet the certificate and derivative gold will not be able to enter that market and will now have to dissipate because it can no longer get the value that it once used to be able to demand based on the trickery. 
So w- once again, as I alluded to with, uh, you know, Jerome Powell not being consulted about anything, you know, financially, I would argue that within the, you know, the BRICS, the Belt and Road, all those economists have looked at this and said, no, if we are indeed going to go back towards the gold standard, we must eliminate the trickery you know, the manipulation of this gold mm-hmm. price so that we can be at, at, at par across the economy. And this is going to send shockwaves, especially if America does not have any bullion by which to re, uh, if you will, uh, revalue its own currency the way mm-hmm. the Chinese are likely to be able to do. If and the Russians. At, right. If you look at the amount of gold that has been bought, it indicates that, one, they're enthusiastic about bullion gold because they're sure not buying certificate gold. But the inside information is that they are indeed moving towards their own national currencies based on, uh, uh, you know, on uh, the price of gold. Mm-hmm. That's good. That has always been good for, uh, you know, look, look at what happened after 1972. Look what happened after Bretton Woods. You know, when, when things changed as far as gold was concerned, economies started, uh, well, the trickery started beginning. You know, the Keynesian trickle-down deficit spending trickery started becoming more and more prevalent because they could get away with it. Well, they're not going to be able to get away with it. But as I said about the lack of gold reserves in the United States, many people believe that the same is true in in Britain and also in Europe. So once again, when the Great Reset comes, and this is not the Klaus Schwab Reset, which is very interesting because I don't think that uh, Putin ascribes at all to the World Economic Forum uh, protocols at all. I think he is the antithesis of it personally. But yeah, but if you do believe that Putin has, you know, aside from a physical war, you know, a, a shooting war, he has just shot an economic war right across the bow, mm-hmm. the Bank of England, the ECB, and the U.S. Fed, and they have got to be freaking out over that. And of course, as we know, you mentioned Libya. Sometimes that starts war too. If they, you know, if in fact, you know, the uh, the you know the economic interests cannot control that, as they couldn't control uh, Gaddafi, so he went out uh, speculatively for some of those reasons. Yeah, well, the, he had two hundred tons of gold to uh, create an African dinar, a gold-based African dinar, and uh, that is um, um, a lot of speculation. That was one of the reasons they. Uh, destroyed him because they did not want a gold-based currency uh, representing the African continent. And that 200 tons has, has disappeared and uh, is likely, uh, is likely, is believed to have likely gone, you know, into Europe and, 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 and the central banks of uh, Europe and stolen from them. And so uh, the, um, not only that, but uh, just uh, as far as, again, t- taking control away from the West, um, uh, Russia and China are uh, talking about, uh, not not Russia and China, Russia and Iran, I'm sorry, Russia and Iran are talking about creating a natural gas cartel. <clears throat> They're the number one re- uh, get natural gas reserve um, country. Uh, Russia has something like $44 trillion uh, uh, cubic meters of, of proven gas reserves. Iran has something like 34, something like that. And they're trying to get Qatar to also join them, which would be the number three producer of natural gas. And that they're, they're somewhere in the 20s. So the, the 20 trillion cubic meters. So if the top three gas natural gas producers create a natural gas cartel like OPEC, then they will be taking control of the uh, of of the pricing of one of the most uh, sought after uh, uh, hydrocarbons in the world, and that would also be another interesting um, um, transfer of uh, a price control from the West uh, to uh, to the East. So, um, well, Brett, any closing comments? Uh, not really, Justice. Thanks for having me on. I, I do agree with your last comment. I, I think I was just would like would add to that that I think, uh, thanks to you know basically let's say well since the Second World War, American hegemony has not ingratiated itself to the rest of the world. And as much as there's an economic impetus for the BRICS, the Belt and Road uh, nations to get involved with China and Russia, there's a little bit of getting even going on in this. You know, yeah, yeah, and, and, and because they have all suffered at the hands of American hegemony, one way or another, through dictators, through you know economic trickery, through deprivation, 
uh, et cetera, so forth. Um, however, right now, when, when you look at the pure economic issues, yeah, okay, that's great for the countries. But I think in the back of the minds of a lot of these leaders who are watching Ukraine, that know the truth about this, that see this as another American uh, ploy, uh, no, there is a bit of getting even going on here. And there's, there's also that implicit threat always that, that America will try again to rise up against their country. So, yeah, I think this is now the, the, the opportunity for what I call the civilized world to kind of put America, Europe and Britain back in their place. And they can mm -hmm. take their lumps for what they've done to this, this world over the last 75 years. Wow. And if that's what it takes to change things internally through their parliaments, so be it. But, you know. We, we, we can go back 500 years to include all colonialism and imperialism too because it wasn't very it wasn't very it wasn't very pleasant for uh, most of um, uh, the uh, mo most of Central South America Africa Asia and Oceania for the last 500 years it's just been pretty much genocide and um, and and resource extraction <laughs> that's so, correct. Uh, well, listen, Brett, this has been wonderful. Um, this, um, uh, I will put uh, Brett's um, uh, contact information, his website uh, on, our, on the page where we will have this uh, discussion in video and audio. And uh, good to uh, visit with you and let's stay in touch. I hope you get to the war crime trials in Donbass. If maybe not, then maybe the ones in Russia for the, uh, for the bioweapons. If I have any ideas, I'll let you know. And uh, thanks for coming on, and I'll get this to you as soon as I get it produced. Yeah, thanks again, Jeff. Thanks for having me on your show. It's always a pleasure. Good to see you this time. We did audio last yeah, time. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> so we're back Absolutely. in touch. But keep up your great work. You know, the number of good journalists that are out there that are doing what you do are few and far between, and we need more of them. So let's have. hopefully we get the word out of the viewers and the, and the readers that understand the difference between you and uh, many of the others that are out there that don't do such good work. <laughs> That goes for you too, Brett. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. Okay, take care, Jeff. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.